Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. That's a short statement by Jesus warning Peter against a girl that was facing Yet we do know that uh, Peter crumbled. Satan did take advantage of Peter and, and took him into his camp, as it were, and Peter ended up denying Jesus three times. The, the point is, that I see, is that uh, Satan wanted him. Satan doesn't have to go after everybody because a lot of people just come flocking to him. But there's some that resist him. And so Peter had been resisting him, but at this point, uh, just before his resurrection, just before his death, as a matter of fact, Peter crumbled and he, he fell prey to the, to the devil's uh, enticement. Now when we talk about the devil, when I talk about the devil, it's not a humorous discussion. It's not a joke. It's not a comedy. The devil is not a comedic character. The devil to the world is some sort of a ethereal being that the world does not actually have any confidence actually exists. However, when we think about evil, we have to think in these terms. Is man the creator of evil or is the devil? Are we as human beings the one who created evil and bring about all the disaster and destruction that evil produces in our, and all the harm and heartache and difficulty in families and in societies? Is it the devil or is it us making evil happen? Well, I'm going to look at this from a Bible point of view. Even though most of us would agree that evil does not originate in mankind, but we do agree that mankind has become the agency of evil because we've allowed the devil to take an advantage of us. Mankind has been influenced by a, an evil agency. And Bible believers, you and me, we believe that the devil exists. We believe, as a matter of fact, what the Bible says. The Bible says that the devil is, in fact, a character not just an entity, not just a, an influence, but the devil is a character. Now the devil is, has um, invaded or come into flesh as a being in only one occasion that I know of in the Bible. So let's go through the Bible and see what it says. In Genesis in chapter 3, the devil appeared in the form of a serpent. And he made a proposition to Eve, and that was that he should take of the forbidden fruit, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve responded by saying that the Lord had warned them not to eat of it, because if they did, it would be wrong. He just warned them not to do it. And the devil said, don't worry. When you eat it, you'll be like God. Isn't that appealing? Well, you know what the devil did. I know what he did. He lied. 
devil lied. So that's the first, first indication we have that the devil is a character. And the devil took on a form, a mortal form, and that form was in the form of a serpent or a snake. We won't find the devil taking on the form again, any type of mortal form in the Bible. We won't find that. So we have no indication of his dramatic appearance. We don't, have, we don't know what he looks like. The devil appeared again in the book of Job in chapter 1 when all the sons of God came before Job to present themselves. That's what Job says in Job chapter 1. Satan appeared with them. The word Satan actually means seducer or deceiver. Someone who tricks. So that's what the Hebrew word means. Hosh Satan. The deceiver, the one who fools, who, who deceives, or who, who can, who can uh, betray you. He appeared in the form of a serpent of the Garden of Eden. It just, it just tells us that he came with the sons of God when he appeared before God in Job chapter 1. Now it appears from Job chapter 1 and from other indications we have in the Bible that the devil does not have authority over the mortal being of man. In other words, he, he does not infest you as such and does not make you do things that you should not do by overpowering you physically. There was a time when Jesus appeared, maybe a time just previous to his birth, and a time, a short time after his birth, that Satan and his henchmen were allowed to affect man's mortal being, actually come into people. And we read several instances of that in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where people were possessed by the devil and they were harming themselves. They weren't necessarily harming other people, but they were, they were being harmed themselves. And Jesus demonstrated his power over the devil by casting them out. Now, that was a period of time that God allowed the devil actually to harm man's mortal being, that it, it affect him in that way. We do know, however, that he, he gained control of individuals by suggestions and by deception, by his influence. On one occasion, and one only that I know of in the Old Testament, the devil was so able to, to influence a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar that Isaiah actually called Nebuchadnezzar Lucifer. Called him the devil. In Isaiah chapter 14, and at verse 12, Isaiah said, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? And he was talking to the king of Babylon. Then he went on to say that he was trying to establish his throne above the stars and exalt himself into the very throne of heaven. That's, that was Nebuchadnezzar's disposition. Nebuchadnezzar had gotten the idea that his kingdom was a, of such power that he could rule the world. He's a world ruler. We sometimes think in these terms of Adolf Hitler and of Mussolini and men like this. Evil conspirators who are so overwhelmed by themselves that they become the personification themselves of evil. 
That's not unusual in our day and age. The Pharisees called the devil, they called him Beelzebub. That's probably taken from the Old Testament word Baal. B-A-A-L. Baal. Sometimes we call him Baal. He was a, he was a heathen god. He was, a, he was the, the god of the Philistines, the god of the Edomites, and so forth. He was the representation of who they worshipped instead of worshipping the creator of the universe. But the Pharisees looked at Jesus when Jesus was casting out devils. They said he's casting them out by the power of Beelzebub. And Beelzebub was the prince of the demons, Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. Now before Jesus began his preaching ministry, the Spirit led him into the wilderness. Now keep in mind, the devil did not touch the person of Jesus physically. But he tempted him and he asked Jesus to betray his own character by turning bread, the stones into bread, by casting himself down from a tower, by bowing down and worshiping him and adoring him instead of his own father. Jesus resisted those temptations. That's found for us, for instance, in the book of Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1. Jesus himself told us this. He said, well, where did, where did the devil come from? Well, we know that the devil appeared before God with the sons of God. So he was somewhere in the realm of God, somewhere with him and his angels. And Jesus said, just like Isaiah said, Isaiah said that I beheld him fall. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, he said, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. <clears throat> to get a little more information of this, we go to the book of Revelation chapter 12, and in the context of Revelation chapter 12, it says that Michael and his angels were fighting with the devil and his angels. And it says at verse 9 that Michael and his angels prevailed and cast the demon, cast the devil, out into the earth. In the Bible, he's called the serpent. He's called the adversary. He's called the tempter. He's called the old dragon. That's what he's called in, in the Revelation chapter 12. He's called Beelzebub, Lucifer, the adversary, and the accuser. The accuser of our brethren. He's called in, in Revelation chapter 12. Jesus referred to him on another occasion in a very non-flattering term. He said he was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. John 8, 44. John, the apostle, when he wrote his three letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, John said he deceived the whole world. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? It doesn't say he has the whole world by the throat. It says he deceived the whole world. If the devil's going to make you do something, remember he's not going to infest your being and force you to do something against your will. He's going to use your weakness to make himself available and strong. I thought about saying this at the very beginning. I want to say it now. While I'm talking about the devil and his means and methods, think about the Lord Jesus and his means and methods 
And what a contrast there is between Jesus and the devil. What, what a world, what a universe that exists between these two. The devil will deceive you, fool you, trick you, lie to you, and cause you to lose those valuable possessions you have on earth by deception and by lies. He'll murder your soul. Jesus, on the other hand, will lift you up. He'll hold you high. He'll make you precious. He'll tell you the truth. And he'll infest you with promises and hope. The devil is just the opposite of that. The Apostle John again said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, that the devil sinned from the beginning. In our opening text in Luke chapter 22, the text says that Jesus was talking to Peter and he said, the devil wants you. He, he would like to sift you as wheat. And yet he said, you know what, Peter? I have prayed for you that your faith not fail you. So the, the power that Peter would have against the devil was his faith. What happened? When Peter was standing in the courtyard, are you one of them? No. I know you're one of them. I am not. You are one of them. And he cursed. I am not. Three times. Why? The devil wanted him and the devil got him for a minute. Why? Because Peter's faith failed him. His faith failed him. Satan entered into Judas at the Last Supper, didn't he? That's what the text tells us in Luke 22.3. After the supper, Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. And Judas then for 30 pieces of silver, because of his avarice, his greed, because of the lie the devil told him, because of his own inclination, his own temptation, he betrayed the God of heaven's Son. He betrayed the Son of God into his enemy's hands. On another occasion, think about it now, how is the devil doing this? What's he doing? Does he appear somewhere to someone and say, hey, I've got a deal for you. (laughs) No, he comes in, he takes advantage of a person's weakness. You know what Jesus takes advantage of? Your strength. He wants your strength. He doesn't want your weakness. He wants your strength. He'll make you strong. He doesn't want to take advantage of you while you're weak and force himself off upon you. He wants your strength. Jesus does. The devil wants your weakness. He wants you at your weakest point, And he'll take you there. He'll take care of you at that point. In Acts chapter 5, after the church started, there was a problem, and the problem was that there's so many people around wanting to hear about Jesus that they didn't bring enough money to take care of themselves while they were there. So they were hungry, and they needed to be clothed, and they needed to be housed, they needed to be fed, and so there was a collection taken. All those who had obeyed the gospel, who were in that area, they actually, if they had goods, they, they sold them and, and brought the money to the apostles' feet, and from that distribution was made to everyone, as every man had need. And an ice and sapphire came. They sold a piece of land. And they brought it, and when they put it down, Peter said, how much did you get for this? And Ananias told him how much. 
And Ananias told him a lie. He, he told them the wrong thing. He said, we saw this is all we got. That was a lie. And Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Why did Satan fill your heart? From all these texts, believers should acknowledge that we're, we're talking about the Bible. What does the Bible say? That Satan, the devil, is actively engaged in promoting evil among those in the world and those in Christ. He's active. He's not asleep. The devil never sleeps. Peter wrote that uh, believers should be vigilant. That is, wide awake. Be watchful because your adversary the devil stalks about seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5 verse 8. He's around. He's active. He wants you. He could have a million, not like you, but he could have a million without any effort. But you, if you have faith, you can resist him. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be resisted. He wants, he wants to be acknowledged and He wants to be accepted and He wants to work on your weaknesses. He wants to tempt you in those areas where you're the most weak, when you're, you're the most susceptible. You say, well, what is it? I don't know. Is it cursing? Is that your weakness? Depression? Worry and concern and aggravation about uh, with others? What is your weakness? Is hatred your weakness? Whatever your weakness is, guess what? That's where the devil is going to dig his deepest hole. That's where he's going to be. Jealousy, envy, covetousness. Paul urged Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.26 to help those fellow believers to recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who have been taken captive by him at his will. Now how does the devil get you? He can take you captive at his will. Why? Because he knows your weaknesses. But God be praised, so does Jesus. And he knows your strength. And he knows how you can avoid that. God has warned us in his holy word that Satan can tempt us and he can drag us back into his world. And there's some obvious ways that this can occur. These are called in my estimation, these are called the tempter's tools. What he can do. Now, lying is the first one that I think of. Lying. What is a lie? It's an untruth. It's just saying something that's not right. It's telling someone something that's not true. Lying has an appeal to our weaker side. Lying appeals to me because it can uh, cover up my embarrassment for doing wrong. It can keep me from being humiliated in front of my friends and my family for being less of a man than I should be. That's what lying can do to me. You, you can figure out what lying can do to you too. It raises the expectation that we can lie and avoid the consequences of bad and disreputable acts. It can, it can cover it up. That, that we think it can. And we can avoid the consequences of those bad actions. We don't have to give an account for what we do. We, don't, we can tell a lie 
and gloss over what we've done and who we are with a lie. Lie promises to cover over our shortcomings or our mistakes that would prove detrimental in the eyes of those that we admire. It preserves our reputation. I don't have to lose my reputation if I can lie about it. If I can lead people to think that I'm something that I'm not. Well, we call that hypocrisy, don't we? That's a lie. That's a devil's tool. It elevates our stature in, the, in other people's eyes. It gives us undeserved standing. It makes people think more of us than we should. It claims something that's not rightfully ours. That's what a lie does. It leads us on a downward path to more lies. Once you lie, you uh, actually cultivate and incubate more lies. Once you tell the first lie, then you have to tell another lie to cover that lie. Someone said a long time ago, it's easier to tell the truth because you don't have to have a good memory. When you tell a lie, you've got to remember what you said. Then you tell another lie, you've got to remember that one. Then you have to, all of a sudden, all these lies have begun, have begun to propagate, and all of a sudden you have all these lies you have to cover in some way so that you don't lose face when you actually fess up and say, yeah, that wasn't true. That's not right. The devil likes the, likes the lying, though. That's his strong suit. He's a murderer. He'll kill you by getting you to sin. And he'll lie and cause you to lie. Lies compound our errors, bring humiliation when the light is finally shined upon our actions and our words. Lies do not exist in the light of day. Lies always come around in the darkness. One of the major differences between the Prince of Darkness and the Prince of Peace, our Creator, is that God doesn't lie. Never has. Never will. God doesn't lie. Whatever God says in His Word, whatever we read, is right. It's true. It's tested. It's tried. All we have to do is believe it. God does not lie. That's what uh, Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 1 verse 2. He says, God never lies. God never lies. We teach our children, don't lie, don't lie. We shouldn't have to teach ourselves not to lie because God told us and taught us not to lie. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. When you open this book, the Bible, and begin reading it just to understand this, that whatever you read is true. Did God create the heavens and the earth in six literal days? Heaven and earth in that length of time? Did He rest the seventh day? That's what the Bible says. Why are we so adamant about that? Because that's what God said He did. He did it. Now, we can either believe it, confess it, and accept it, or we can say, no, he lied. He didn't do it that it, it, it took him longer than that to do it. But God, if we believe the Bible, and I do, God doesn't lie. Matter of fact, God cannot lie. Whereas lies are the stock and trade for the devil. Those who follow his downward path will end up sharing his fate. If we follow the devil with his lies, we'll end up where he's ending up. 
That's what Revelation 21 verse 8 says. All liars have, shall have their part in the lake that burns with fire. The second thing I want to mention is that the devil is a deceiver. This is another tool that the devil is. That's one of the words, one of the words that describes him. He's a deceiver. He is the master of deception. Not just a deceiver, the master. He makes the worst things that could happen to you look good. He makes the worst things that could eventually destroy you look like fun. He makes you feel good when you know that you're job doing good, even when you don't know it. He will make the worst possible things that can happen to you make you feel as if they're right. He'll shine them and he'll polish them and he'll present them in all the glitter that he can when in fact when it's all is said and done it will bring you to ruination. It'll actually bring you crashing down to earth. He promises you the moon but he's going to give you mud. He won't give you the moon. He can't give you the moon. In the glowing terms, He will invite you to do that which is wrong. Jesus accused the leaders of Israel in Matthew chapter 23 of painting the tombs, painting the crypts where they put the old prophets. He said the problem is you're making these tombs look good, but your fathers, your fathers killed the people that are in the tombs making it look good on the outside, making themselves look good, deceiving them. Why would you do that? Why not just stand up and say, okay, we did this was wrong. We repent. We should not have killed the prophets. Our fathers should not have killed the prophets. We are in sin. We need to repent. No. No, that'd be too easy. They were deceived. Who do you think is putting everybody up to it or telemarketers that are calling you on the phone trying to get your money. Who do you think's putting them up to that trick? <laughs> it's their own lust, their own desires. They want your money. And they're going to work on your greed. Hey, I, you have just won $110,000. All you need to do is send me $5,000 so that I can pay the taxes on it and I'll get you the rest. So they're working on your greed, your avarice, your covetousness. Say, well, sure, I'll do that. And then what do you know? Telemarketers, televangelists are working to empty your pockets and fill theirs. They're working to take advantage of the widow so that they can walk with those who are in power. Who's, who's putting them up to these, these sort of tricks? The devil, that's what the Bible says, he's the deceiver. He also deceives Christians. Did you know that? I'm going to say this while I go. The devil is not going to spend a whole lot of time on you if you know his tricks and if you will take the power that God has given you. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talked about the armor that a Christian can put on that will protect you against the wiles of the devil, the tricks of the devil. 
put that armor on. And he warned Timothy on two different occasions. He said, evil men are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. First Timothy chapter 4. Then he told him later on in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, preach the word. Preach the word. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers full of deceit. Well, they have itching ears, meaning they want to hear this. Paul told the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1, he said, he said, I marvel that you so soon removed from him that called you in the grace of Christ unto another gospel that is not another. But there be some that would pervert the gospel of Christ. They're changing it. So the Christian has to be aware of the deceptive effects of the devil. The devil is going to try to trick us. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, he tells us that the angel can transform himself into an angel of light. Some would be led away from the truth. The devil gives mankind what they want, not what they need. And he does the same thing with a Christian. But James said that we, if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. James chapter 4, verse 8. What you have to do is resist him. You say, how do I know when he's around? <laughs> you know. You know when you feel an inclination to do wrong. You know when it's there, don't you? You can feel it. You understand. And you know when your impulse is to do something wrong and to harm someone, to harm yourself, to fall into his trap. You know, I don't have to tell you, you know what is going to happen. The devil runs the greatest con game on earth. His empty promises are like hot air balloons. They burst on short usage. It's the hangover after the drinking party. That's what you get from the devil. It's a regretful morning after when you awaken and find out that you did something that's going to bring devastation and harm and ruin to your life. It is the intemperate choices that ruin our careers and our character. It's the headache following bad choices that spring from that, from greed and from avarice. Listen, every man is tempted. James said, when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Lust, when it is conceived, brings forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. James 1, 14, 15. It's the cold awakening that deceit leaves us empty and full of remorse from our selfish, bad choices. The devil can be resisted. James 4, verse 7 and 8. He can be resisted. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. He'll flee from you. He can find, he can find a million, two million, three million in a wink of an eye. But for you, if you resist him, he can't get you. You won't, you won't do the things that you have an inclination to do if you resist him. Jesus said, Listen carefully. In John 16 and verse 40, Jesus said, The prince of this world comes and finds nothing in me. 
the prince of this world came after Jesus. What did he say? He found nothing in me. God help you when the devil comes after you. He finds nothing. That he does not have a foothold. That he does not have a hand grip. That he does not have a twitch in your eye. That he does not have a, a shrug of your shoulders. Well, maybe I ought to do that. Don't let the devil find anything in you. Jesus said he didn't find anything in me. Don't let him find anything in you. Let's stand and sing the song of invitation.